welcome back to Women in STEM. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself, Luann? So I'm Luann Thompson, and I'm a <laughs> professor of oceanography, and I work on issues related to ocean circulation and climate. <laughs> yeah, I read a little bit about your research in regards to like, the um, climate variability. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into that? So I started off as a physics major <clears throat> um, way back when, and my dad really wanted me to be an engineer because he wanted me to be able to support myself. Mm-hmm. And I got interested in astrophysics. Okay, wow. Um, but I also was interested in geology, geophysics, math, any, anything mm-hmm. I could use math on. Oh, wow. So I worked for years as an engineer, and I was miserable. So <laughs> I quickly went back to grad school, and I went to grad school in physics, and I chose mm-hmm. a program that looked really flexible, and it was Harvard. Yeah, you get into Harvard, you go to Harvard, right? <laughs> Especially since I went to UC Davis, which yeah. is kind of, it's, it's uh, more of a farm, yeah, it's a good school. It's more of a farm school compared mm-hmm. to UW, but and it was a small physics program, so yeah. I thought, well, I'll go to Harvard, I'll go to the East Coast. <laughs> so I did that, and I was working in that, and I was working with an astrophysicist, and then he didn't have funding for the summer, mm-hmm. so I ended up doing applying for an undergraduate program in oceanography mm-hmm. at Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution. Oh. And even though I was a grad student, they <laughs> admitted me. And so oh, I went down fun. to Woods Hole from Cambridge for the summer, and I realized that's really what I wanted to do. Mm. And I met someone who was willing to be my advisor. Oh. I cross-registered between MIT and Harvard in the fall, and then got my master's in physics and moved over to oceanography. And I think I wanted to do it because I could do applied math and theory and modeling pretty easily in oceanography. And in theoretical physics, it's harder and harder to Mm -hmm. do that, even back then. So that's why I switched. But then I realized over time that I really wanted to do something that had a little bit more meaning than theoretical physics. Did you ever feel overwhelmed by all that or did it just kind of happen? Well, as I said, when I applied to grad school, I applied to like 10... PhD programs because yeah. my somebody was talking to at UC Davis said well if you get above this score on the mm-hmm. physics GRE you can go wherever you want and I didn't make that score so I thought mm-hmm. oh no I'm not going to get in anywhere but I got in look at you everywhere so <laughs> yeah. and I didn't really make a very informed decision about going to Harvard mm-hmm. it was just kind of because I got in yeah you know? it was. <laughs> And I was lucky enough that they admitted me to this undergraduate program and that I managed to maneuver my way into mm-hmm. MIT. Well, it's a joint program between MIT mm-hmm. and Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution. So besides um, doing your research here at University of Washington, do you also teach? Yeah, I teach undergraduates and graduate students, okay. mostly climate-related topics, mm-hmm. um, climate modeling, climate dynamics, geophysical nice. fluid dynamics, and the ocean's role in climate. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly I teach seniors and graduate students. Yeah. Um, so now that we know a little bit about you, I want to ask you about your journey. But I actually wanted to ask you about your father. When you told me that your dad was like, you got to be an engineer, like how did that kind of like pressure or how did that lead to who you are today? Well, what's interesting is my sister is also a professor. Oh, okay. She teaches at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we were... Well, we were all really good at math. Math was easy, so I kind of just kept doing it. Yeah, I don't know. My mom never worked. She actually yeah. graduated from Stanford with a degree in economics. And I think my dad thought, you know, I really want my girls mm-hmm. to have a job where they can support themselves. Mm-hmm. I think that was what was motivating him. Okay. I was a real girly girl, though. I mean, <laughs> I, like, played with dolls. I had a dollhouse. 
I hated climbing trees. I mean, I was <laughs> not a tomboy at all. So No, I mean, you don't have to be, though. Like, that's the whole point, you know? Like, people have this stigma that, like, you can't be a girly girl and be, like, in love with math. Yeah, my dad really wanted us to be able to, you know, have a job. Basically, mm-hmm. it was about having a job. So did you have any challenges, like, as a woman at all in the STEM field? Yeah, there's challenges along the way. I mean, <laughs> I've been thinking about your question of how it's different now versus then, Mm -hmm. and sort of little things that happened along the way. I mean, you could sort of add up all the stuff that happened along the way. Working in engineering was really not great, and in some sense, academia was better. Mm. But there's just a lot of little slights and doors that that seem closed that make it difficult. And I think that going through it, because there weren't very many women around. I kind of internalized all Mm -hmm. of those slights as something that I was doing wrong, as opposed to some systemic exclusion that was happening to me. So I think that that's the difference now from what it was then, is Mm -hmm. that there are more women around. There's still not enough. You mentioned closed doors. Can you remember any, like anything specific that still, you know, resonates with you? Oh, like when I was a postdoc working with an advisor here, and he said, oh, I'm going to the AMS Waves and Stability Conference next week. And I was like, what? You know, <laughs> that's my, my field. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, by the way, the abstracts were due six months ago. And so I wasn't given the opportunity to go because he just didn't tell me about it. And I don't think it was conscious, but mm-hmm. it was just sort of a lack of mentoring. And then there were other meetings that I wasn't invited to or, yeah, just opportunities that weren't available, both mentoring within my department and then in the wider community. Mm-hmm. So that kind of exclusion or even going to a meeting and just feeling like, wow, I really don't belong here and thinking I don't belong here because I'm not good enough. Right. Instead of realizing that, oh, yeah, there's a bunch of guys around mm-hmm. me, you know. So. How did you um, turn that around for yourself? Um, I think actually it got turned around by mentoring younger women, understanding better that the challenges that I experienced, people still experience. Yeah. In some ways, I've mentored women that have, much, have had much bigger challenges that I have mm-hmm. had because I've never experienced direct sexual harassment, mm-hmm. you know, or physic being under um, threat of physical harm. So I think that that helped me to sort of reframe my experience from yeah. particularly the first, say, 10 years of my career. Mm-hmm. Prior to your career, like in the education path, any challenges that you faced? When I got the Math and Science Award in high school, my uh, the guy who thought he should get it, went around telling everyone that I didn't deserve it. I mean, you know, it's just a collection of little things. I was an intern one summer, I think between my junior and senior year or sophomore junior year at a small engineering company. And I told the president of the company and my mentor that I wanted to go get a PhD in physics. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, you know, Luann, that's really not fair to your advisor because you'll get your PhD and then you'll have babies and you won't use it. So you really shouldn't go get a PhD. He actually said that, like that. Yeah, totally, totally. And I was like, I was so naive. I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. You know, I never thought of it that way without really realizing how discouraging that is. Yeah, like I guess in the moment you're just like, is he thinking about me and like my future? Is he like does he care about my future in that way, or is he just trying to say, oh, you can't do it? Yeah, yeah. 
Working working as an engineer, you know, things like the guys would go out to a beer garden mm-hmm. every Friday at lunch. Yeah. And I said, well, can I go with you? You know, because I was kind of isolated. There yeah. was a group of engineers. There were 60 engineers. Were was, you the only woman? I was the youngest, and I was the only woman. Wow. First of all, kudos. <laughs> I didn't last that long. But... And so I asked if I could go, and they said, no, we're going to Aga Women. We don't want you to come. We're going to wow, Aga Women. Aga women. Okay, yeah. Wow. So, you know, things like that. But as I said, I wasn't harassed, and I wasn't under physical threat. So I just kind mm-hmm. of, it kind of rolled off my back. Because I know a lot of younger women who are, you know, really pushing against sort of misogyny and not having the opportunities that they, they deserve. And I think that being a woman where there just weren't very many of us, we had to learn how to let it roll off our backs. Mm. Because if we had fought, we would have been shunned and shut out. So I think that in some ways, the way I went through it was survival. And I don't know if I would change it, but I think I would would try to change how I felt about it. Mm -hmm. Instead of thinking, oh, me being excluded has to do with me, it has. I could it reinterpret it that it has to do with the people who are excluding me more. Yeah. But I really don't think I could have changed it. Mm-hmm. Because I was the only one. Right? Yeah. You didn't have anyone like by your side with the same sort of thinking or feeling. It was just kind of you on your own. Yep. How did you deal with that, like emotionally? How did I deal with that? Uh, I guess I just tried to do my best, mm-hmm. and I had friends. I actually met my husband in grad school. That probably helped. Yeah, you just sort of do your best and yeah. do your best and, and, you know, work your way through it and try to not come down on yourself too hard. Yeah, what do you recommend to women who are trying to get into STEM now? Find mentors that can help you along the way and can give you advice. And also, you know, one thing looking back on my um, experience, I applied for things. You know, mm. like I applied for that undergraduate program because no, it looked yeah. interesting, even though I was a graduate student. I applied to Harvard, even mm-hmm. though I was like, oh, I probably won't get in. You know, I mean, I guess try to do things. You, you reached, like you just kept reaching? Yeah, I mean, it sounds like I was an amazing superwoman, but I just applied for things, kind of <laughs> almost stupidly. Like, oh, I'll apply for that. No, but it's so See like, what happens. It's so inspiring, too, because like a lot of women are just like, or just in general, people are like, oh, I'm not going to, you know, apply for Harvard, for example, just because, like, I know I'm not going to get in. I think that in some ways, when I first got to UW, I was here as a postdoc, as an early yeah. facu- faculty member, was more isolating. Because I, w- I befriended, like, graduate students and postdocs, mm-hmm. because I, you know, that, that's where the women were. Yeah. Um, but I didn't have any colleagues or peers to befriend or to kind of go through it together, and mm-hmm. that was super isolating. Yeah. Um, but then a senior college colleague moved from Woods Hole to the Applied Physics Lab here at UW, and we started working together really closely, and then I wasn't as isolated, mm-hmm. and that really gave me a lot of confidence, made work more fun, Yeah. and we did a lot of really great science together. She retired recently, but I think my career wouldn't have been what mm-hmm. it was without her. That's awesome. Now you're surrounded by a lot of people too, so how do you feel like a really big difference like in your work maybe or your attitude at work too? Oh yeah, I mean I've risen to the point where I'm kind of a leader within the university <laughs> and within my department, so people come to me. Yeah. And the one interesting reflection I have on that is that people tend to be pretty nice to me, <laughs> partly because I think I have perceived power. 
And I tend to think, oh, they're a nice person, but I think I have to remember just because they're nice to me mm-hmm. doesn't mean they're nice to other people. So I feel like now that you have you've seen like both ends of the spectrum because yeah. you've done this, you know. But I, I think I still tend to be a bit naive, you know, in, in people's motivations and stuff. Or you just see the best in people, like that's yeah, good too. Yeah. But it's I mean, I've mentored women who have been, you know, gone through sexual harassment experiences yeah. or, you know, really bad work experiences. So I know those are out there and they're still happening. And it's important to have advocates who, mm-hmm. at least someone that you can talk to about it. You know, there's never a, a good end to bad situations like no, that. It never is resolved in a yeah. really good way for all involved. But you never really get closure from it. You never really get closure, and you know everybody is in fact. You know whether it's the perpetrator or the person who's experienced, mm-hmm. everyone is horribly affected by it. And there's no closure because mm-hmm. of how the system works, which is super frustrating. Yeah. But at least there can be other women that you can talk to about these things. I'm kind of jealous of this generation. Of this generation? Yeah. Can you tell me why? Because they're not isolated. They have groups <laughs> of women that they can hang with. Yeah. You know, that they have 500 women scientists, you know, and they have, you know, pub get-togethers and stuff that I didn't have back then. Mm-hmm. So I... In some ways, I'm jealous of that. Yeah, no, it's really nice that it's like you can be honest about that now. But like, um, so what have you changed for yourself? Like, you know, me now, can you grab a couple of beers at your colleagues? Like, is it is it different at all for you? Or do you feel like you've kind of passed that point of the whole networking where now, you, like you said, people come to you instead? Oh, yeah, I feel more comfortable with mm-hmm. the men, I would say. And also, since I'm a middle-aged woman, I think that you know, the sexual part of it. It's not as prevalent as, you know, young, younger women experience yeah. it. And I was never a real party girl, mm-hmm. so I wasn't someone who would go out for drinks after the meeting. You know, oh, okay, I just yeah. would say no. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't because I was trying to avoid that kind of thing. It's just that's not... I was a nerd, yeah. right? I was a math nerd. That's <laughs> what I was. So I wanted to ask you more about, like, your mentor. You said you mentor young women. Can you tell me about, like, what kind of work that is that you do and how maybe you've impacted someone, maybe? So I've been involved in this pro- program called Mentoring Physical Oceanography Women to Increase Retention. Okay. So What's the it's acronym for that? M, it's M-Power. M-Power. Nice. Um, so it's a program to try to mentor women to go from sort of the senior graduate student through the PhD and postdoc into a full-fledged scientist, whether it be in a faculty position or in a government lab mm-hmm. or whatever. So we've done um, mentor groups where we actually, they're remote mentor groups over the phone, mm-hmm. and I've done a couple of those. There's a, a yearly conference called the Petulo Conference that uh, you bring a bunch of women physical oceanographers together. So these are the pe- the people within oceanography who do fluid dynamics. So mm-hmm. they're in okay, the, specific the, group. Yeah, specific group. And bring those women together along with program managers and funding agencies, and then other senior practitioners of physical oceanography. Mm-hmm. So that goes on. I've written a couple of papers about mm-hmm. women in physical oceanography. And in terms of mentoring, a lot of it is, you know, come into my office, shut the door, and let's yeah. talk, and have the Kleenex on the table, you know, ready when needed. So I think I 
particularly senior graduate students and postdocs, I think I'm kind of a resource for them. Have there been like situations where you maybe like don't know how to help or maybe other places that you know that they could go to? Yeah, I mean, you know, when things like sexual harassment happen, it's always hard to know how to help. And I try to connect them to the resources, you know, whether it comes on campus Mm -hmm. or other knowledge. And it doesn't always turn out well. Mm -hmm. So in that case, you try to just be a friend. Yeah, as I said, I can't say that those situations have ended up well. (laughs) I feel like, because you mentioned this quite a bit, have there been a lot of cases of sexual harassment that you've come with? Yeah, I've been aware of them. Yeah. Yeah. So... It's just usually what happens is the woman has to switch what they're doing, leave the you know leave academic physical oceanography, mm-hmm. switch advisors, you know something like that. It doesn't. It never ends well. I mean, there's been a rash of discussion about this. Mm-hmm. You've probably noticed it yeah. in astronomy and anthropology. I mean, it's it's pretty prevalent in academic and mm-hmm. academia yeah academic science um so i just want to shift gears a little bit up to back to what being a woman in stem i want to ask you what does being a woman scientist mean to you so <laughs> i think one thing that as i said i started off just really liking math and doing mm-hmm. fluid you know do, solving fluid dynamics problems two things that affected my career one is having a kid <laughs> so i have a 20 year old oh, she's nice. a junior in college so that really changed my perspective on science because it there was something I cared more about than my work, which I think was really healthy yeah. for my work. So you don't, you know, when things didn't go well, I got a paper rejected or whatever, I was like, well, I have my daughter. Yeah, you, know? you remembered like what mattered too. What mattered. And then eventually I got more into climate research and also climate um, communication. Mm-hmm. And I feel like my work actually now has more importance than it did when I first started, when yeah. I was just doing it for my own satisfaction. So in terms of the kind of scientist I am now, it's changed from what I was originally. And it's broader than just my, you know, what particular research paper I'm working on. It's also about trying to connect people mm-hmm. who work on different aspects of climate science and to think about how better to communicate about climate science. Yeah. So that. You know, me as a scientist is very different than when I was 30 versus yeah. now. versus now. Okay. Just from all of those reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. So now as we get to the end of the podcast, I always do this thing where I ask the interviewee what they recommend to the audience who's other women in STEM, men in STEM, or just people in general that are listening to this. What do you, what do you have to say to them about being a woman in STEM and just, you know, getting through your career and... I guess, you know, I've been talking to my daughter. She's been struggling trying to figure out what her major is and then we'll be able to get a job or not. And I think that it's important to take opportunities to come along and to go for opportunities, but it's also important to follow your passion. I know that's very trite, Mm -hmm. but I feel like if you are really driven to do something, you'll gain a lot by doing that. I agree. Like, I feel like passion like outweighs a lot of things because you know you can get bored of you know like you said you were bored of engineering like it just didn't suit you or you said that you no longer wanted to do it so you found what you were passionate and then look where you are now yeah and I guess also the other thing I would say is being willing to learn new skills as you go along Mm, to not not be stuck in sort of the 
knowledge base that you had originally. Recently, I counted up how many different programming languages plus operating systems <laughs> I've used over my career, and it's like 15, right? Yeah. So you kind of go through, and I realized when I look back on it that I, I was doing computational stuff for my PhD, which is kind of early mm-hmm. to do that. Not terribly early, but kind of early. And then always sort of thinking about what skills you need to sort yeah. of go out and solve that problem and to not be afraid to dive into something that you don't know how to do. Mm-hmm. That's a good one, too. Well, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. I had a great conversation with you. I learned a lot, actually. Good. But yeah, so thank you, Professor Luann. Um, do you have any last words you'd like to say? No, just great that you're doing this. And it was a pleasure <laughs> talking to you. Thank you. See you guys in two weeks. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Ever wondered what drunk food is like in other places? My name is Dee Dee Madigan, host of the weekly podcast Home Plates, where I ask that question and many more. Each week, an international student joins me here in the studio to discuss their food culture. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday right here on the Soundbite Network. For more like this and other great shows covering sports, science, relationships, and the arts, visit the Soundbite's website, uwpodcast.com. That's uwpodcast.com.